This is the workshop that's titled Thinking More Clearly About Race and Ministry. If that wasn't the one you think you were coming to, I'm going to pray and you can sneak out while I pray. All right. Father, we ask for your help now that this would be profitable. Uh, it's certainly at times a very controversial topic, and we, I, I desperately do not want that to be the case. I want it to be helpful and edifying. And so I pray for your help uh, and ask that you'd be honored in it. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to just quickly confess, I did not give any handout for this one. And the main reason is um, I, I don't want written stuff just sitting out there without the teaching interaction stuff. Right. So audio will be posted. So that way it's clear, but it's just sometimes things are written and people can snag stuff and I have really no interest in being misunderstood. So if I've got opportunity to do that, I may at some point do it. The second thing is honestly, and I almost did the Walter Kaiser thing, you know, his, his whole deal was toward something. <laughs> right toward an exegetical theology toward uh, because he was trying to say I'm, I'm trying to push it in a direction and there and really in some senses that's what my hope here is to just sort of push us toward a better way of thinking and communicating about it and uh, certainly not uh, not in any way trying to provide the answer to it I think I mean, I, honestly, it's touching the third rail, and so it can it can be it can be charged up. So, in spite of my comment about ca caveats and all that stuff, I said in the general session this morning, I'm going to do two quick ones. All right, uh, this is really sort of more. It's more negative than positive in this sense. It's trying to address some ways in which I think the conversation has not been helpful, and point toward a way I think that could make it better for local church life. But that means um, that means it's it's really probably spending more time on the corrective than the, you know, the prescriptive kind of. And that's that's um, I don't know that that's uh, ideal, but you only have 60 minutes, so you got to do what you can do. And and I'm, I but I don't want it to be come across as like a critical critique thing. That's why I'm actually not going to be like. You know, here's what so-and-so said and they're wrong about this and all that that's not that's not actually where I'm going from at all I'm actually going uh, in sort of observational kinds of ways to say uh, I don't think this has been helpful and I don't think this kind of an approach is helpful can we can we think about it this way that's sort of like that's uh, that's the general way in which I'm approaching it in that way. And so what I want to do is approach it that way. And the thing that I would start with is that I think we've hurt the discussion by confusing by confusing categories. Right? We when we have this conversation, the tendency is to have have um, terms go bouncing around that don't all mean the same thing. But people people just flow from one to the other as if you're talking about the same category. And that's why I think lots of times people are talking past each other more more than they are to each other. Right. When you have discussions of problems and solutions. Right. And you're not using the same terms and you're not actually talking about the same problem, then then it's it's just going to miss. Right. It's, it's really not going to solve anything. And I think too often that's what's happened. Right. So in defining the problem, 
I think communicators, both oral and written, often move seamlessly among words like race, racial, ethnic, ethnicity, culture, cultural, whiteness, blackness, as if those are all synonyms of the exact same thing. Right. And because they're not, that's why you get people who start who start missing each other. Right. Because they're not actually identical. And in fact, they don't uh, they don't they actually don't break down well in what we would call a taxonomy of human existence. Right. When you're doing a taxonomy, a taxonomy, you're going from larger categories to smaller categories. Right. And, and when you do that, let's say you go homo sapien, right? If, if you, just for sake of discussion, posit a lower category called race, that would be taking humans and dividing them into categories by their physical characteristics. I mean, that's the only way you can describe the definitions of it. So humans have certain shared characteristics and therefore you have this race and this race and this race. When you say ethnicity, you're actually going to a, a lower category, right? So if I take white race and then I start to talk about ethnicity, I'm talking about subdivisions of whites. And, and yet people will talk like race and ethnicity are the same. And that's, that's not the case. And if you throw culture in there, that's actually even a lower category than ethnicity. So, so here you can have conversations happening at three different levels of a taxonomic breakdown. And, and someone talking at level three, and someone's talking at level one, and no wonder they don't, they don't agree. They're not identifying the problem the same way because they're talking about it at different levels and their solutions, therefore, are going to be different. And, and it's, it's basically a way to move toward uh, what I would say non-productivity because of it creates sort of definitional chaos, right? These, these terms don't mean the same thing and they really don't actually work as synonyms. Yet that's often the way they are. Right. You can. And I chose not to do it, but I mean, I could bring in any select number of writings on this issue and and watch within the space of sentences. Racial, ethnicity, cultural. Right. And they're they're just plug and playing those words into the same paragraph as if they're talking about the same thing and they really aren't. Right. In terms of of how we would move to solutions, how do we start to go past describing the problem, which we're not being able to do very well to to a solution in that regard? You know, race is not ethnicity, nor is it culture. Ethnicity is not culture and color is neither an ethnicity nor a culture, really. I know some would make the case that you have. Um, white culture and black culture or brown culture or whatever. But, but the fact is, I don't think anyone actually believes that those are monolithic, that all whites actually have the same culture and all blacks have the same culture and all Hispanics have the same culture. Certainly nobody inside those groups thinks that. Right? If you just, let's take Hispanic 
right? You're, you're not going to get them going, Hispanic is like one monolithic culture. They're going to say, no, there's actually all these subsets. You might be able to say there's certain things that they share in common, but, but I've been around the world enough to know that Argentinians are not thinking that they're a Mexican culture, right? And Mexicans and Puerto Ricans aren't exactly thinking they're of the same culture. Spaniards are sort of looking down on them all, right? I mean, that's the reality of it. It's, there's, there's actually culture is a lower level of discussion that reflects much more localized, shared things than even, say, an ethnicity and, and certainly than a race, right? So we'd be talking, if someone says the Hispanic race, then we'd be going, so what are the ethnic groups inside of the Hispanic race? And what are the subcultures within each of those ethnicities? Right? You see how it, it's actually much more granular than our tendency, probably in the United States, because we're a melting pot, to just sort of drop things in like big kettles, but then start to prescribe things that don't really describe the problem that well and, and don't work for solutions. And I think that's a tension point, right? So the failure to properly focus the discussion with agreed upon terms makes it virtually impossible to engage effectively in a discussion about problems and solutions. Let me just say, say this. I mean, in, um, because here's, if I were listening to me, right, uh, and I, I know this uh, because I've had to learn this as a husband, right, I love to parse everything down to very precise statements and, and very logical kinds of things. And when I've done something against my wife, she's not really looking for me to lawyer her. <laughs> right. And and that's so I recognize that that the what, what I'm saying requires a sort of dispassionate, careful. Hey, let's make sure we're all talking about the same thing. Let's work through this. And and sometimes the discussion that that's a painful thing for people who have been sinned against. Right. It can seem dismissive to go, well, let's make sure we get our terms right here first. So I, I recognize that, right? But I, I still think we have to move past it within our local churches so that we can actually start to work towards solutions in a way that would, would help us in that. So you understand what I'm saying, the distinction between these? Right. Because that that's important when we when we start to work forward, that we be understanding the definitions. And I would suggest that the uh, I think it's fair to say that most uh, conservative Bible believers reject race theory. But I would say we're still stuck in its paradigm. Right? We, we, would, we would actually argue that there is one race made in God's image. Acts 17, from one man, we've all descended. So, so when you're talking race, there's really the human race. 
And, and, and Genesis 1 is very clear that we're all made in the image of God. There is not any kind of fundamental distinction as to the nature of the humans involved. And a part of what we have to recognize is that racial theory, and, and it wasn't really, I mean, it clearly differences were always recognized, but it wasn't really categorized and promoted until it became an instrument of subjugation to, to, to subdivide humans by physical characteristics uh, grew out of sort of social Darwinism to subject certain portions of the human population and doing so on the basis of physical characteristics to cluster them up and, and had, has been, I think, a tool of evil, not actually a helpful tool. And I think we need to realize that using categories created by racial theory, that is biological tra traits which mark out a subspecies. When I say subspecies, I'm, I'm meaning simply like homo sapien. And then below that, there's different types of homo sapiens. Some marked by dark skin, some marked by white skin, some marked by brown skin. Right. And other potential physical characteristics. That's that's what race theory has done. It's subdivided humanity based on physical characteristics. And, and I don't believe that that's a biblical framework at all. And it, it's not a way to think about humans and how they relate to each other. And, and I think that 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 but it's it hangs on. Right. And because it hangs on it, it, it is clouding up the conversation. Right? And then when we start to substitute other terms into that ethnic or culture for the same categories, it creates confusion, not clear, uh, clarity. Right. Color cannot mean ethnicity. Whites and blacks belong to a wide variety of ethnic groups. Color cannot mean culture. There's no single. And I just put insert color culture. I mean, that's just that's just the reality of it. So I understand at times when people talk about whiteness that they're trying to really capture something about the dominant culture. And I think we should understand that. We should understand that's what they're saying. And I just think it's very unfortunate to associate it with a racial theory. Right. And it actually only works inside of a European North American context, really, because you would have you have the same issues that have happened in other places with other dominant cultures. Right. If you're in an Asian context, you would be talking about ways in which dominant Asian cultures have treated minority Asian cultures. If you're in an African context, it actually would be um, eth ethnic tribes that have dominated other ethnic tribes, right? It really wouldn't be color-coded. It would be the problem. <laughs> you would be identifying the problem rather than letting it shift off to a, a different discussion, which inherently, um, inherently, I think, uh, stirs up more problems than it solves, if I could put it that way. All right. 
moving targets lead to missed shots. So on top of the taxonomy problem, the conversations seem to shift from label to label, even though they don't mean the same thing. That results in constant equivocation about meaning and people often talking or shouting past each other. Right. So, um, you know, if you're going to actually be a more diverse church, then you need to check your insert color and realize how much your ethnic background influences it and check your cultural preferences, right? So we just went down three levels of it and, and, and people start to go, well, wait a minute, this isn't just a matter of cultural preferences. So they start arguing at that level. And the other person, well, I'm not, I'm not talking about like whether you like this kind of music or that kind of music, I'm talking about, and all of a sudden they start talking about something up at this level. Right? It just keeps bouncing back and forth because people aren't talking about the same things. Right? So, for example, if I call on you to consider how your racial identity, ethnic heritage, and cultural preferences affect your view of the church, I've actually asked you to examine three things, not just one. Right, because your racial identity and ethnic heritage are not the same thing. Right, and my cultural preferences are a third thing. So I'm thinking about me. All right, I've, if if I if I accept the categories, I'm I'm a white guy who is a typical melting pot American. Half Finnish, half Norwegian from my mom, German and Irish from my mom, or my dad. All right, so my ethnic heritage would be Scandinavian and Anglo-Saxon, I guess, of some sort, or Germanic, right? And my cultural preferences would be unique to the fact that I grew up in the suburbs of Detroit. It really would have nothing to do with that I have Norwegian, Finnish, Irish, and German background. My culture is so dislocated from my ethnic heritage at this point, there's really not... I mean, ethnic heritage is my ancestry. All right, so, so, so as a, a white man... My cultural preferences would probably match up more with people who grew up in the same culture than I did than they would that they're Irish American, Finnish Norwegian. <laughs> right? Because I don't really have, I mean, I mean, I can say Sisu. It's about the, all the Finnish I know. Right? I, I, I mean, we never did anything about my ethnic heritage, really. We were just Americans, right? I mean, that's just the way it was. So you ask me, how does that affect my view of the church? And I'd be going, well, which, which one are you talking about? <laughs> which of these are you actually concerned about? And, and how does that work? Now, there's... Perhaps in, in stronger ethnic heritages, there's more bleed over. 
right? Like if I, if I grew up in a very strong ethnic heritage, then it might actually, right? So there might be bleed over that's there, but it really would be more helpful when we talk to people to go, uh, help me understand how you're thinking about the church and why, why you think certain things should be the way they are and why they don't. Right. Then instead of cloaking it in these kinds of terms, which which can be confusing. I mean, I'm right to ask you to be self-reflective, but I've made the task actually harder for you by giving you inaccurate, mislead an inaccurate and misleading standard on which to reflect. I mean, I'm not I've not actually helped you. I could have helped you more if I had actually set up the conversation better, right? And that's, that's the point I'm making. So, so we, we just need to think, I think, more carefully about how we move into the discussion of the problem. All right, let me just make a couple clarifications. I'm not saying the skin color has not been the way the world has subdivided humanity. It is. And... Um, and it's been evil, right? It's not been a good thing. It's actually been used, um, uh, it's been used as exploitive. And I want to acknowledge that racism has existed based on this false theory of races. <laughs> In other words, by subdividing humans by skin color and other biological traits, people have used that taxonomy for evil, exploitive purposes. And in America, because the dominant color is white, it was used to categorize and exploit people of other colors. Okay. I personally don't feel like that's anything radical to say because it's like undeniable right you own slaves that's evil and it's been used to justify it right the subjugation of peoples by virtue of their physical traits you're arguing there's some inferiority that is justification for that treatment okay and that's sinful there's no way around that and that's true it's been and I, i'm trying to be really clear in america that's been the issue but you go to other parts of the world it has had other colors associated with it right so so what we've got to do is recognize that and 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 until we recognize that i don't think we'll get to the real problem which is deeper than skin color as evidenced by these same evil desires being expressed within colors for instance ethnic cleansing if you're familiar what happened in uh, serbia and albania right those that was one color uh, effectively trying to wipe out the same color because of other ethnic differences, right? I mean, ethnic cleansing doesn't just happen from color to color. Tribal genocide, right? You've got, you've got that. You, I mean, if you look, at, uh, you look at the relationship historically between Japan and China, I mean, horrible atrocities. Right? None of that is to minimize the way it has been expressed in our country, but is to recognize that the problem is deeper. 
right? The, the problem is an evil that has found expression by people finding ways to exploit other people. And, and we need to make certain that we push down toward that and, and we address that as the scriptures would call us to address it. Does that make sense? I mean, I, I really don't want to turn it into like a, a massive conversation, but is there anything you, you want me to try and clarify on it? I was going to close my eyes and say, I didn't see any hands, so that's good. All right, I, I'm, I am trying to do very deliberate <laughs> baby steps because I want to make sure that, that I'm, I, I'm not misunderstood, but also approaching it uh, correctly. All right, a kind of second category, uh, or actually, let me, let me go this. All right, problem is deeper than skin, so we need to, a better way of talking about it than racism. We need to frame the solution more carefully than racial reconciliation, since we're not really talking about reconciliation along color lines, right? And it, that's what I mean, is in our culture, you say race, even though... I mean, if you, if you like do Google on it, they'll say there's like eight or 10 or whatever number of races. If you, you know, in, in modern parlance in our part of the world, it's, it's pretty, you know, pretty simply divided and, and, and has been uh, as tended to be that way. I mean, I, uh, I went to college at a time where interracial dating and marriage was prohibited. And the school I attended divided everybody up into three races. So there was, there was white, black, and, and Asian, right? Uh, I know people that went to another Bible college that divided it four and included Hispanic in it. All right, so so that was a, a fourth race, and they set up the, the barriers there. And, and, and it was just cherry picking right it basically was you know we're just going to try and drop categories on and i mean i had plenty of arguments with teachers and administrators about it because they'd always go to act 17 and try and prove it and i'd said do you do, are you actually looking at the text it says he set the boundaries of the nations not the races Right, so if you're going to have this policy and say it's grounded in scripture, it has to be anti-international dating, <laughs> because that's the that's the boundary that God sets. Right, you you have nations as boundaries set before God, not races, and and so so I I mean for forty some years I thought we just we just have used this false label in ways both to exploit people and to create confusion because we accept their terminology. Right? We accept we accept a false category and then and then we end up uh, having having uh, more and more problems about it. And so what we need to do is what what is the reconciliation that God calls us to? And I would suggest Bible believing people are pursuing a peace that is to exist among all believers because of their shared relationship to Jesus Christ. And not just between blacks and whites or browns and blacks or browns and whites or can you say yellow still? I mean that's I, I just you know it always seems weird to say that one. Uh, because it tends not to be used as much, but that, it's all used to be, right? Red and yellow, black and white, 
you know, precious in his sight. They used to sing that. It, it's not just that we're trying to pursue harmony along color lines. We're actually pursuing it because of our shared relationship to Christ. And here's, here's a part of the problem is when you start to talk about white culture or black culture, right, or brown culture, then it inevitably runs toward cultural common ground and starts to be along the lines that when people talk about cultural preferences, well, if you're going to have a diverse church, then you need to start recognizing the cultural preferences of other groups. So it's reduced it down to cultural preferences. Like, I'll come back to it, like saying, well, if you're going to keep the young people in the church, you need to have a contemporary service because that's their cultural preferences. And then have the traditional service for the old folks. Recognize there or find a way that, you know, blend your service. And all of a sudden you're taking... You're taking the whole approach of like just cultural preferences and thinking that's going to solve the deep, deep, deep wounds of the kind of partiality that has driven it. Hey, you guys will feel welcome if we sing a couple of your songs. I mean, do we really think that's going to solve the problem? Right. That's that's just it's really trivializing it in a way that's not pursuing the kind of unity that we're supposed to have in Christ, which is rooted in our shared relationship with Christ and and our shared commitment to Christ. So I I think I think we've got to uh, we've got to have a better heart about it, I think, in that regard and pursue it. We want unity in the Bible, a unity in the body. And righteousness in society, if I could put it that way. Okay, and I'm going to come back to this in a second. But, but when we're talking about when we're talking about this, it should be unity in the Bible or body. I keep saying it, unity in the body of believers. And if we're really talking about the fact that there has been sinful prejudice and partiality, unrighteousness, when we're talking about righteousness on the societal plane, right? That there's not unrighteous discrimination. Not just we all sing kumbaya together, right? That we're actually talking about what the problem really is and we're trying to solve the problem uh, at the right level. And that leads me to the, the next part of it, which is, and this is, a, this is shorter, all right? And then I'll hopefully turn the corner on it. Um, would you, Joe, Jeremy, Joe, would you guys open up the window? And it's, it's like... We're about ready to, I'm about ready to pass out here. <laughs> and I keep, I keep, I live in an icebox. Houses in the 50s, office in the low 60s, and this is like an oven, man. I'm just, I'm fully insulated. I need to, I need to careful here. All right, so here, here's what I mean by this. It's a second factor, I think, blocking the process uh, of progress is what, What's the context of our discussion? Are we talking about problems and solutions in the society, in evangelicalism, in our denominations, in the local assembly? Right. And, and, and that's that's the part of the problem is if all right, so if we're talking about the problem and I'm just going to use common words, right, the problem of racism in our society. Right, then we've got to actually prescribe 
very clearly describe what that problem is so that we can know the solutions to solve that problem. But that's actually a whole different set of equations than we talked about evangelicalism. And if we're talking about church association, it's a different set of real problems. Or if you're talking in your local church. But if you keep bouncing between those and people start to talk about solving them, then they're operating in a different context of conversation that's going to leave people frustrated, right? They're going to they're come away feeling like they never come to any answers because they're different kinds of problems and they require different kinds of solutions. And, and, and that, that part of it is true. I mean, the causes of societal conflict between various groups of people are complex and the remedies are too. And Here's the point I would say is good believers will disagree with each other on some of those solutions. Right. How do we actually solve the problem? You might agree about the problem and then go, well, here's the way we think we should solve this problem. And someone says, no, I don't think that's the best solution. I think this is the best solution. And good believers will come out with different answers to that. Right. I would suggest to you that the conversation in the local church about this kind of sin, there aren't an amazing array of complex government solutions to it. <laughs> right? It's actually generally pretty simple that we have to zero in on obeying what God said. And if we actually can get it down to this level, then we're like, okay, now let's talk about what, what do we need to do to change what we're doing here that violates the scriptures, right? And, and we're moving in that direction. Obviously, that is complicated by the church. If, if people are talking about the church's role as church in addressing problems and solutions, that's debated, right? The Christian's responsibility as neighbor and citizen separate from the church's responsibility is debated. If you're up here at this level, Right. So you've got what are the problems? Can we agree on that? What are the remedies? Can we agree on that? What's the church supposed to do about that? Can we agree on that? What are Christians supposed to do? Can we agree about that? Right. So so here's the deal. Most of the it seems like most of the arguments are handing up here. And that's why nobody ever comes to conclusions. Because it's always a matter of going, well, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't agree with that. Instead of it being, right, should the local church uh, have a heart for all who are made in the image of God and be structuring itself in a way that facilitates the truthfulness of the gospel in that regard? Right? That's, that's I think, a part of the problem is when you have these kinds of uh, fluctuating between contexts and not getting set up. So, so all, this all matters because specific solutions need to be provided for specific problems. And bouncing back and forth between context is just like bouncing back between terms. You, you don't get anywhere with it. You're not going to solve things in that way. And I think we end up unwittingly creating tension by seeing the church as responsible for societal solutions 
right? If we see the church as responsible for the societal solutions and we can't come to any kind of consensus on what those solutions are, it's going to be a problem. I mean, there's been debate in the political world for decades about how to solve this problem. And then, then people come along and tell the church, you need to solve it and solve it now. And it, and it seldom gets past the door of the church because it's actually a mechanism that has to be done outside of the church. And, and so then what happens is the debate out there finds its way into the church. So now the church is having debates about things that are technically outside of its sphere. Right. It's actually not in the sphere of the church to to be doing that. It's actually in the sphere of God's minister, which is government to take care of that. So here's what I would like to suggest is that we need to think like missionaries, at least as a potential way forward. All right, so so I'm gonna try and I'm gonna try and lay this out quickly, and then see if if you want to ask questions or whatever. All right, my the context that I'm concerned about is ecclesiastical. Okay, it's not that I'm not concerned about the society. I am as a citizen, and like I said Sunday night to our congregation, uh, I mean we don't do politics in our church in the sense of you know I don't we don't promote people, do campaigns, all that stuff. Uh, but when you have a moral issue that's on the table, the scriptures speak to that. Yeah. Right? So, so I stood up and said, hey, Proposition 3 is, is intended to, to expand the taking of human life. And, and it's contrary to what God says. And, and I know that, that uh, we don't do politics, but I hope if it were 1857 and there was a law on the table that would ban the owning of other humans, you would expect me as your pastor to stand up and say, God's word is against this. Right? I mean, that's a moral issue. The killing of innocent human life is a moral issue. The owning of slaves in the kind of slavery, chattel slavery that we had was a moral issue. It's not justifiable. And the spirituality of the church doesn't mean you close your eyes to that. The spirituality of church means we're not the mechanism by which those things will be changed. Right? That's the government's responsibility. So, 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 but... So as a, as, a, as a citizen who believes what the scriptures say and has the right to exercise my conscience in the civic realm, I should be a promoter of righteousness. No doubt about that. But when we're talking about the church, our concern is missiology. We're supposed to do what Jesus commissioned us to do. And he commissioned us to make immature disciples, form congregations of Christ followers that will reproduce. And um, I'm not going to unpack that if you want to read what I think about that by for the sake of his name. All right, I'll go on. The Great Commission demands geographic and cult, cross-cultural spread of the gospel, right? Disciple all nations, Matthew 20, 20, uh, 28, 18. Luke 24 says, repentance for the forgiveness of sins in my name will be preached, beginning at Jerusalem to the remote parts of the earth. 
All right. So so there is something about the mission that Jesus gave us that is to cross geographic boundaries and therefore cross cultural boundaries in terms of linguistic and ethnic reality. Ethne is make disciples of all nations. So so we have a responsibility to see the gospel spread into all places and among all peoples. New Testament pattern is the gospel lands in a particular time and place, converts sinners, establishes a new community of believers around the gospel, then spreads the word throughout the region. That's what's happening in 1 Thessalonians. So it lands and then spreads. Okay, and that's that's what Christ has commissioned us to do. That's what the apostles did. That's how Paul said he had fulfilled his work in that regard. The gospel message is that there's one God who made all humans, and the one way to God is through Jesus Christ. He commands all men in every place to repent, because he made from one man all the nations of the earth. Right? And that there is only one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So there's not there's no subdividing humanity to other mediators. There's one between God and humans, and that's Christ. And so we preach the one true living God who provides salvation through his son for all peoples. All right. The church is composed of all those who have called on him. All right, that's that's what First Corinthians one is saying that they're those who've called on him as Lord, and we're supposed to then be gathered with one accord and with one voice. That's Romans fifteen. The law previously divided humanity between Jew and Gentile, but the gospel divides humanity by the church and the world. I was talking about that this morning. All right, we are not of the world any longer. Those who are outside the church are viewed as outside the church. That's the division that matters. All right, the law did divide Jew and Gentile. Ephesians 2 is clear. There was a dividing line. And God has removed that dividing line so that now all people are to come to Christ and join into the one new man. All right, so that's that that is the the demonstration and I personally think it's trivializing that a little bit to say um, that the gospel is supposed to be the answer for um, any kind of ethnic division in in a societal kind of way right it is within the church that the unity of christ is to be displayed in that Inside the church, God calls for unity in Christ across socio-ethnic economic points of division. Colossians 3.11 is an example of that. The gospel focuses on reaching people for Christ and graciously receiving them into the fellowship of his people. Receive them just as God for Christ's sake has received you. Based on the church's identity and mission, I think a better paradigm than race or even ethnicity is needed. Traditional categories are too broad to make wise missiological choices. Okay, and I, I want to I tease that out a little bit. Okay, so, so what we're talking about, right, is that we're supposed to enter cultures with the gospel and plant indigenous churches. All right, that's we know that on the mission field. 
I mean, let's just think, just think for a second, all right? People talk in America about, you know, part of the goal of the gospel in your church is racial diversity. Okay, and, and, and I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna fight against that. I think I would frame it like unity in Christ among whomever has come to trust Christ in the place where you live. Because if I'm a missionary to East Africa and someone's going to say the goal of the gospel is racial diversity, what does that mean? If I'm a missionary to Asia and basically it's like 99% Asian and my church is the goal, my goal is racial diversity, so I got to try and find non-Asians to make my church obedient to the gospel? It just it doesn't even make sense outside of a context where we use it to sort of beat up people in the states, right? The real issue should be that the gospel is supposed to establish a community of people who are united in Christ, and we wouldn't contextualize our church planting strategies along racial lines, because we really wouldn't. Even if we were going to plant a Hispanic church we would actually be getting more granular than that. We would be trying to understand the culture in this particular area. Because if you are planting a Spanish church in Argentina, it's gonna look different than if you're planting a Spanish church on the Texas-Mexican border. And it's gonna look different than if you're planting a Spanish church in Southwest Detroit. Right? You wouldn't be thinking racial. You'd be going down to the level of what's the culture in the community which we are trying to reach for Christ. That's the way you'd be targeting it. You'd be thinking like that. So if that's the case, why do we think that way for terms of health and growth? Why, why do we all of a sudden go, well, a healthy church has this standard, I mean, where, where did we come up with that? I don't, think we, I don't think we derived it from the scriptures. I think we have to be controlled by the mission. So how well do we know the culture in which we are seeking to fulfill Christ's mission? What would an indigenous church look like? If I'm going to Tanzania to plant churches, I want to know what a healthy Tanzanian church is going to look like. I don't want to transplant an American church. I actually want to plant a church where the gospel will thrive in the culture within which it's being planted. We know that when we go out of the United States. Why do we set that aside when we start to think about healthy churches in the United States? Right? If I'm going to plant a church in a certain kind of culture, what would a healthy, faithful church look like in that culture? And I don't think I would be thinking chiefly color at that point. I'd be thinking the, 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 the basic cultural characteristics of that target community. And, and then working from there to see what a healthy church is. And, and here's what we have to acknowledge, I think, okay, I, don't, I should say, here's what I am convinced of. 
All right, hopefully it makes sense. In a community with a dominant culture, the aim would be to reflect the dominant culture in ways consistent with the word, right? You don't just adopt everything that's there and so it becomes cultural assimilation. You actually would be going, how do we appropriately indigenize this? And you would actually be going by the dominant culture. And, and that, that's a given, right? Because, I mean, just, just practically speaking, right? When people go, they, they, they ask, why aren't white churches meeting, meet, reaching more Hispanic people, right? They, they, in fairness, you'd have to say, so why aren't Hispanic churches reaching more white people? Because they're designed for the dominant culture, <laughs> An Hispanic church is saying, we're primarily in a Hispanic community, so we have the cultural framework of our church reflects the culture in which we are. The same thing is true of a black church. It's, it's, it's actually reflecting the culture it's trying to reach. And, and that's not a problem unless there's actually sinful dispositions in any of those churches that that are insensitive to the minority cultures right so so if you're a white guy who shows up to a spanish church and they basically look at you and like say this isn't your church there's a white church down the street right then that that'd be a problem same thing if you show up at a black church and they go, this isn't for white people. You need to go somewhere else. Okay? But here's the reality. Because the white culture has been the dominant culture in our country, it has often been, yeah, you should probably find a church for people like you. Right? And, and there is a history of that in white churches. And, and we should recognize that. Okay. But let's not recognize it in such a way that says, well, so were we wrong to try to reach the 85% of the community this way? <laughs> right? I mean, that, that, that part wasn't wrong. It was the kind of thing you would do if you go to East Africa, again, Tanzania, and you're trying to reach Tanzanians, and the Maasai tribe is next to you, and you go hey, we need to be sensitive to them, too, to try and reach them, even though they're really sort of like a subculture within this culture, and it's going to be hard for us to reach them, but let's not make it harder by the way we do things. Right? You'd actually be saying, how can we be sensitive to try to reach them because they need Christ? The same thing would be true if, if you were in a pocket, you know, of people that, you know, you're, I mean, I, honestly, in a, like Metro Detroit, you can find pockets of communities that would be ethnically different and therefore is going to require some level of deliberate intention. I mean, we live next to Dearborn. Right. It is, gonna, it is very, very hard for us to meet, reach the Muslim community. And they're moving in around us. And we try and do what we can, but there's like massive hurdles there. 
Do we all of a sudden just say, hey, if we need to reach these people, let's turn this into a Jesus mosque. I mean, it'd be a bad strategy anyway, <laughs> right? But, but we wouldn't all of a sudden go for 3% of the population in our area, we're going to fundamentally alter I our identity and mission. Right? That, that wouldn't make sense. And, and I think we've got we've to recognize that. And it's not discriminatory, I think, to, to, to have to wrestle through those issues. In our personal relationships, we, we should become all things to all people in order to win some. But the congregation, as congregation, can't do that. I mean, I, I probably hit this. I mean, it, part of the problem is I teach seminary, so I hit it every year, once or twice, and I probably pop it in whenever I can. But 1 Corinthians 9 has been abused. <laughs> right? a, church, a congregation cannot become all things to all people. Right. So, I mean, we just tell all the people who are without the law to show up one Sunday. So we're going to have the without the law service. And the people under the law and next Sunday you come because then we're going to all be under the law. <laughs> right. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about I, 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 I have relationships with people. And so I will not put these issues that I can in good conscience work with to try and reach them. Do that. That we should be doing. We should be doing that. And we should be, like Paul, embracing the servitude that comes with that. But the congregation cannot actually do that in order to be faithful to God, because God's actually the one that, that prescribes what the gathering of God's people is supposed to be like. And practically, it just won't work. Right. Church isn't like a buffet that you go, OK, let's make sure we set enough on the table for every kind of lost person who might show up so they feel welcome. That's just it just it's it sounds great. It can be really sort of snazzy rhetoric, but it doesn't have any biblical justification to it. That's not what Paul's talking about. The fact is that outsiders will not feel completely at home in this insider culture because they lack the Spirit's illuminating work. The natural man does not receive the things of God, neither can he know them for their foolishness to him. I mean, practically speaking, God says the prayer of the wicked is an abomination. I, I honestly don't think it's the best thing to give a bunch of lost people doing religious exercises toward God that he doesn't like. Yet we, we have a heritage of evangelism that is centered on a building and a service instead of it being on the spreading out of God's people into relationships to communicate the gospel. And, and so the real issue would be if there's not some kind of diversity in the church with regard to ethnicities, then it's probably because the people in the church don't have relationships with those ethnicities through which they're spreading the gospel. And you're not going to solve it by turning your church into sort of like a kaleidoscope of ethnic sensitivities. That's not going to solve it. Right? It just, it's, it's not, missiologically it doesn't make sense. And, and we've got we've to come to grips with that because we can keep, you know, for how many years have we heard, like 11 o'clock is the most segregated time in America. And, and it's, it's in many ways true, 
But is the answer to somehow stop that segregation? By, by adjusting the gathering so we get different, different races in it? Or is it that we work on the heart prejudices that keep us from building relationships with people who need Christ? And we communicate the gospel to them so that then we can actually stand on the same ground of our union in Christ and cultivate the culture within the church, which is actually going to be different than the culture outside the church. Right? Because the church is always going to be its own unique culture different from the culture within which it's going to be it's going to have some connection to it but it's going to be different from it okay and, and missiology does not equal demographics and this is where i think the american church tends to think demographic segments and so we we find ways to i mean you know it's it's basically also partly marketing that carries in right so you know You've, you, if, if you run some boring reading on marketing, I've got two journal articles on that, but uh, you can just reduce it to this, right? STP, segment, target, position. So you look at the market and you segment it out, and then you target one of the segments and position yourself in relationship to it. Okay, that's, that's, that's what people are doing with marketing all the time, right? They're, they're, where's their niche? And which one are they going to go after and how are they going to position themselves? All right. And 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 that so dominates even American church thinking that we tend to divide the church up into segments. And then make sure we've got enough position to each of them so we can sort of keep a full diversity right so like the way people talk about it is like i mean now shopping malls are dying but it used to be you know the church is like a gigantic shopping mall it's got the anchor stores those are the big ministries and it's got all the little small shops and so you're hoping you'll get people to come because they're interested in the small shop and then they'll come to the big the big gathering kind of a thing Right. So have this little small group ministry. You can get that group of people and hopefully you can get them over into the rest of it. And, and here's what I'm saying to you is that that basically is the way people have talked about this problem in ways that have gone. OK, so we we know there's a group of people that want contemporary stuff. So what are we going to do to position ourselves for them? All right. Or or or. There's a certain segment of the population we'd like to attract. How are we going to position ourselves to attract that? Right, they're basically breaking it down on cultural kinds of preferences instead of gospel-related issues. And if you gather people on cultural common ground, then that's going to be the basis on which they're unified. And, and that's not the unity that Christ wants us to have in the church. And, and we have to make sure that when we're doing a missiological mindset, we adopt the posture of a learner regarding the cultures around the church. We seek to understand so that we can communicate effectively, avoid needless offenses. Most importantly, make sure that our message isn't skimming the surface, but is penetrating deeply to confront and transform the worldview of those who press, profess faith in Christ. And that that usually requires uh, great precision, 
that we understand the world in which we live and, and we're pursuing it in that way. So I guess I, nope, that's the end of it. All right, good. Let me, uh, let me make a couple comments in one minute. All right. So here, just so I can, if, if I can try and sort of summarize where I'm at, I think hard truth, bottom lines. All right. I do not think the goal is a racially or ethnically diverse congregation. That's not the goal. That should be a byproduct. The goal is a Great Commission obedient congregation that's unified in Christ. We're making maturing disciples of all nations starting in our own community. And we have our eyes open to the differences in our community so that we can move toward <coughs> groups that we might have to cross over to try and reach. Right. We're, 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 we see ourselves as missionaries. We must fight against sinful partiality and prejudice and be open to conviction regarding our own heart. Right. I think we have to actively be fighting against it because most of us don't recognize the ways in which we have been enculturated. And we tend to think the, the, the normal that we're used to is actually the biblical. And that's not the case. All right. We have to we have to push to pursue this in a way that is always reforming and refining it. We should look at our community like missiologists trying to understand its culture so we can be faithfully indigenous. Not cultural assimilation nor rejection, but adaptation. People who have lived there fit and made that culture. Do you realize that, right? So downriver culture. I mean, people, people sometimes don't, if you're not from around Detroit, right? I mean, there's a different culture downriver than there is in the northern suburbs or even the western suburbs. There's a different culture downriver than in the city. I mean, there's, there's, there's shared values, ways of interpreting life. I mean, it's, it, and it's, it's there. I mean, our business, uh, years ago, our business manager, former business manager, we were playing Oakland Christian up on the north side. And, and one of their guys looked at, looked at him, this was before his business manager, he was the head of a division at Lear. I mean, over hundreds of millions of dollars of stuff. I mean, like way up in the corporate ladder. And the guy said, oh, why don't you guys go back down to your trailers? Right? I mean, they, they look at downriver as, as low, low, low income rent kind of stuff. Right? That's, that's the reality. And you know what? Downriver looks at itself that way. <laughs> I mean, it prides itself sometimes on being Walmart people. Right? That's, and that's, that's cultural. And, and if we're going to try and reach our culture, we have to recognize that the people who live there and have lived there for a long time fit that culture. They've helped create that culture. Now, it's not so true necessarily in Downriver, but people move to other areas because they actually want that. Right? They're moving out into a western suburb because they want that culture. And it doesn't matter what color they are. They actually want the culture in that community. 
I mean, that's that's a part of we have to recognize. And so if we're targeting the culture, we're not actually missing anybody who lives in that area. We're actually thinking this is the shared culture. How do we reach it? And we just have to make certain that we're not reflecting prejudice in our heart that narrows that down to people like us. Right. That's where it would start to get sinful. We actually would not be doing that. Now, obviously, there are some people who move into that culture uh, because they want it. There are some people who move in and who don't, and it's changing. I mean, it's, you know, Dearborn is not the same culture it was when I grew up in Dearborn Heights. Because half the population is now Islamic. All right, so it's a different culture than I, I grew up next door to it. I had lots of friends that went to the public high schools in Dearborn. And it's a different place 50 years later. Right? So cultures can change, and we need to be up to speed on that because here's the thing, is if we're, if we're still thinking our church exists to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ, then we are constantly looking outside of our walls as to how do we reach our community. The minute we let our community's culture walk away from us is actually the moment when we become ingrown. Right. We don't really care about our community. We care about preserving what we want. And at that point, we're on our way to death. Right. Because we basically said that we're going to preserve a previous culture, because here's the deal. Right. A church, a church like ours that really sort of got its main thrust in the 50s had a culture. And what can happen is that culture actually reflected the culture around us, right? It was, it was actually contextualized to our culture. But the culture outside of us has changed. If our church goes, but we're, we're going to stay true to our culture, we're saying the old paths, we're, you know, we're going to be the same church. In 2022, effectively, we're more like the Amish than we are like missionaries, we think we exist to perpetuate the culture of the 1950s rather than to reach the time and place where God has put us. Okay, And, and some of that might be, uh, might be sinful attitudes that create that ingrown thing because that culture also had some sinful characteristics that without recognizing it, people sort of baptized into their belief system. Right. One of which back then might have been they all we all all the races go to different churches. And that that lingers on for a long time. Okay, and we 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 just need to start, I think, coming back to we're missionaries and missionaries look at the culture around them and identify strategic moves that best help them reach the the culture. And, and here's the hard part in our day. You actually do that over the dominant culture. Right? If, if I were going to plant a church in southwest Detroit, it would clearly be reflecting Hispanic culture. And everybody would commend me for it. 
If I walked in there and tried to plant Intercity Baptist Church, they'd be going, are you an idiot? Don't you realize you're in a Hispanic community? And wouldn't they say that? They'd go, you're, you're stupid. What are you doing? Okay, so I'm out in Allen Park. Shouldn't our church be primarily influenced by the culture in which we find ourselves? I think the only obvious answer to that is yes. If I were planning a church in southwest Detroit that was contextualized to a Hispanic culture, I wouldn't be telling non-Hispanics to go away. <laughs> but I also wouldn't be changing the church massively to keep them. That wouldn't make sense. Just like we've got guys in Istanbul and you know what? They, they actually have Kurds that are interested in the gospel, and the Kurds are a different culture in the same country. Do they all of a sudden turn the mission from trying to reach Turks into a mission to reach Kurds because some Kurds showed up? I think if we think about it missiologically, it won't alleviate some of the hard questions, but at least we'll be in a position where we can work on them. Instead of the platitudinal way it's up here that just is essentially tending to produce guilt and frustration. That's where I'm coming at it from.